Welcome to the Security Matters podcast, where we bring you the latest news, views and opinion from across the UK's dedicated security business sector. My name's Brian Sims, and I'm the editor of Security Matters magazine. We're delighted that this podcast is sponsored by the Security Event, which runs at the NEC in Birmingham on the 22nd and 23rd of September 2020. To register for the show, visit www.thesecurityevent.co.uk. The big news story in the past few days is that the British Security Industry Association has joined forces with the Security Institute as well as the Security Commonwealth to orchestrate an awareness campaign designed to highlight the essential role that security officers play in public life. Another central goal here is to increase respect and recognition for the myriad capabilities of those officers in the modern day era. In essence, the campaign is designed to reset the public's perception of security officers. It will showcase them for what they are and indeed what they deserve to be. The overriding desire is really to see security officers recognised as key workers who are acknowledged as such and embedded within the fabric of our daily lives. Within the last few months and due to the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, security officers have been working in critical settings. They've been playing key roles while remaining largely unheralded for their efforts. They've been working diligently at testing centres, for example, and also at the NHS Nightingale hospitals, as well as managing queues and customers at supermarkets. They've also been involved in safeguarding the homeless in new sheltered accommodation providing physical security at factories and other business premises, protecting industrial estates during lockdown, and supporting police patrols in London, where the recently formed City Security Council has been very much to the fore. Speaking about the campaign, the BSIA CEO Mike Reddington told Security Matters, and I quote, The recognition of security officers as key workers is the start of a reappraisal of what service they provide to the community in keeping the public safe and secure. As we exit lockdown and have to navigate public spaces once again, Security officers will have a crucial role to play in supporting public confidence. We're working closely with the police and all other public sector bodies to find the best way to achieve this. Rick Moundfield, CEO at the Security Institute and a recent guest on the Security Matters podcast, has said, and again I quote, The security sector is vast, with specialisms from cyber and engineering through to protective services, including both technical measures and security officers. The latter engage with the society more than the rest, but are often overlooked and underappreciated. Great effort has been invested in the professional standards and capabilities of frontline officers, and they've really proven their worth during the coronavirus crisis. They, along with the wider security sector, absolutely deserve to be recognised, respected and appreciated for the safety and security they provide right across the UK. Security Matters concurs wholeheartedly with both of those statements. In early July, the BSI will be holding its annual British Security Awards, which is necessarily running as an online event in 2020. This is the Trade Association's annual showcase designed to celebrate security excellence. The event always highlights many great security officers who, on a daily basis right across the UK, exceed expectations through excellent customer service, teamwork, innovation and outstanding acts, the latter often realised in the face of adversity. These achievements are celebrated across the industry, but part of this new campaign aims to bring these examples of professionalism to a much wider audience. That's absolutely crucial. The BSIA and its partners are keen to work with the Security Industry Authority as the regulator and encourages the industry at large to engage with the fantastic SIA Heroes campaign, which itself is designed to recognise the great and often unseen work being carried out by security officers the length and breadth of the country. The BSIA has also opened up a consultation on what to call the service that security officers actually provide. The term man-guarding, which is one that I've never used, fails to reflect the increasing numbers of women in the workforce and, indeed, the scope of services provided. Today, the industry universally and correctly calls its staff security officers to reflect a far wider safeguarding role than just pure guarding. Reviewing current terminology is indeed part of the overall campaign. From my perspective, this campaign is to be applauded. Aside from the economy, the number one item on the agenda for all boards of directors in this country should be security. 
in tandem with business continuity and business resilience. If nothing else, this pandemic has shown that statement to be fundamentally true. From the perspective of many commentators, the industry has been talking to itself for far too long. Preaching to the converted is all well and good, but it's the people with the purse strings and the influence, i.e. the buying end users, who really matter in all of this and can actively play a huge part in this latest push for advancement. In relation to our sector, we really do need to confine the word guard and the term man guarding to the history books. They no longer speak to the role of the security officer, and in truth haven't done so for some time now. To my mind, the political powers at Westminster must be persuaded to use the term security officer in their own documents and legislation, and strip away outdated terminology. The industry will now be reaching out to all companies, professionals and organisations in the sector to participate in this campaign. Over the challenging weeks to come, and as lockdown is eased, the team at Security Matters strongly urges the industry as a whole to play its part in demonstrating to the wider commercial world and indeed the general public, precisely why security officers are vital for the effective running of this nation and must be recognised as such. The readers of Security Matters who would like to respond to and contribute towards the campaign can do so by visiting the BSIA's website. The web address is www.bsia.co.uk forward slash hidden hyphen workforce. Please do get involved if you can. These issues have been discussed for at least the last decade and more, but in truth not a great deal of progression has been made. Now is most definitely not the time for another full storm. In some respects, the next news item for assessment this week neatly follows on from the lead story about the campaign focused around security officers. The project that was designed to make sure the government and the private sector work well together has been updated with a view towards helping to guarantee good services for the general public. Launched in February last year, the outsourcing playbook was put forward to improve the way in which government works with private companies following the rather high-profile collapse of Carillion a couple of years back. After being strongly supported by the private sector and charities alike, the government has announced that the outsourcing playbook is now revised to highlight the importance of the need for continuing to drive forward innovation in public sector projects. This includes the creation of delivery model assessments which themselves help to determine whether the public or private sector is best placed to deliver a public service, an improved focus on delivering social value in contracts and also guidance on building and maintaining successful relationships with companies delivering services. Cabinet Office Minister Lord Agnew has commented the outsourcing playbook is a vital tool for ensuring that we can work effectively with the private sector to deliver the best possible public services and value for money for the taxpayer. This update builds on the improvements we've seen in the past year. I'm pleased it's been well received by the private sector as we continue to develop collaboration and drive innovation. The outsourcing playbook contains rules, principles and guidance on how government departments should make decisions about outsourcing projects, making sure the focus is always on delivering the best possible outcome at the best possible value. The updated version makes it clear that companies should also comply with a prompt payment code and sets out how government officials themselves should look at all possibilities for how services ought to be delivered before contracts are actually awarded as well as giving additional advice on insourcing. The update follows on from detailed consultations with industry and builds on the highly successful implementation of the initial programme, which itself has seen attendance rates at training sessions for playbook policies go well beyond 9,000 individuals. Mark Fox, chairman of the Business Services Association, has explained, and I quote, The updated outsourcing playbook represents a huge step forward in the government's ability to procure goods, services and projects, both consistently and efficiently. All those who work with the government to deliver projects and services across the voluntary and private sectors recognise the enormous amount of work the Cabinet Office has put into this documentation. The outsourcing playbook has also helped to guide vital operations between government and the private sector during the coronavirus crisis. So what's our take on all of this here at Security Matters? Well, during these testing times, partnership working between the public and private sectors with the goal of tackling 
shared challenges has arguably become more important now than ever before. This latest guidance builds on the Cabinet Office's commitment to improve upon how local and central government work together with enterprise and charities alike to deliver high-quality public services. New provisions supporting better contract management, an increased focus on value rather than cost and encouraging a more collaborative approach towards managing risk are aspects that all of us here at Security Matters feel will be warmly welcomed by suppliers. Our first guest on Episode 5 of the Security Matters podcast is Godfried Hendricks, the 65th President of ACES International. Gottfried has been active and influential in the field of security and crime prevention since 1989, specialising in particular in retail-focused security issues. In his day job, Gottfried is the Business and Product Development Director for Europe at Revolution Retail Systems. He has been a member of ACES International since 1982 and became active as a volunteer leader a decade later. Gottfried was first appointed to the Board of Directors back in 2014. I began by asking him for his views on how the ACES community has been coping during the pandemic and also about what lessons have been learned to date. Godfrey, thank you very much for joining us on the Security Matters podcast. Uh, of course, you're the president of a global membership organisation representing 34,000 plus security industry professionals during a pandemic and at a time of political upheaval. This must present its own unique set of challenges, I'm sure. How have you seen the ACES community join forces during this time? What are the lessons learned today, do you think? Thank you, uh, Brian, and uh, great to be here. I would say our community of professionals has been uh, on the front lines from uh, day one of this crisis. And securing the safety and well-being of employees and customers alike, protecting hospitals and other healthcare facilities, feel it's a community that has lost loved ones and colleagues, And it is also a community that has been impacted by the economic crisis. But above all, I feel it's a community that has had to be agile. And watching the ACS community come together during this time has been inspiring. And in many ways, we are indeed stronger together. So our members immediately took to Connect, which is our online forum for members, to ask questions and offer advice and help to one another. Volunteer leaders from regions and chapters and other ASES pillars like our subject matter and special interest councils, which we now call communities, by the way, and our CSO center, along with HQ staff, immediately began planning, coordinating and developing virtual meetings and webinars on the most pressing security issues. ASES staff immediately formed a COVID-19 content team and developed regularly updated information for our members on, on these related matters so that they could be better informed and prepared for both their personal and professional lives. And you can find these resources on our website homepage, um, ASESonline.org. And individual members stepped up in a personal way to inspire us all, like Sonny Tai, who is a, a former US Marine that started a successful initiative to source and distribute protective masks and sanitizers. You can also read his story on the website too. We are highlighting those who are what we call security heroes within our profession. Since Diversity and inclusion is the foundation of our global community. We have recently released a statement to remind all of us of our core values of law, order, diversity and inclusion. And together we stand united against inequality and racism of any kind anywhere. 
And can you speak to some of the research efforts now underway through the ACES Foundation in particular? Yeah, um, the ACES Foundation is uh, making a significant investment in new research to support and inform security management professionals. We have now committed more than 200,000 in uh, research dollars to five major projects in the pipeline. Uh, three of those are part of our new digital transformation series, which will help security practitioners learn and leverage the latest technologies, including blockchain, artificial intelligence, and social media. And in addition, we are working on a second-year state of security management study, which will be coming out early 2021. Plus, of course, our current COVID research project that provides real-time updates showing how companies across the world are responding to the pandemic. The foundation board is currently planning its research strategy for the future. One topic we are exploring is a study of how the business continuity function has evolved in response to crises such as 9-11, the 2008 financial collapse and the current pandemic. The overall goal of foundation research program is to provide valuable, timely and actionable knowledge for the security profession. And all of the foundation's research is made possible by donations from ASCS members and organizations. And looking at the wider world, Gottfried, is there a singular trend in the world of security at present that you believe is actively reshaping this vital business sector? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it is no secret that the speed of change, and especially in technology, is forcing our industry to adapt. And the convergence between physical and cybersecurity is rapidly progressing. Many years ago, folks like Alessandro Lega from Italy, Volker Wagner from Germany, and James Willison and Sarp Sembi from the UK started work on this topic in the ACS European Advisory Council Convergence Subcommittee, which was later renamed in the Convergence and ESRM Subcommittee. Um, ESRM um, Enterprise Security to risk management, of course. A few years ago, ASS International has embraced enterprise security risk management as a guiding principle. And this is currently raising the profile of security from task-bound to one of the key business drivers in the C-suite. And yesterday, there was a webinar with Werner Koroman, who is also the uh, chair of the Professional Standards Board at ACS, on this topic uh, that I would highly recommend to everyone interested. Last year in September, we released the ESRM guideline, which can be downloaded from the ASES uh, website. It's free for members and there's a small fee from the, for non-members. But ASES International continues to develop top-notch educational tools to inform its members on issues like ESRM and uh, convergence between physical security and cybersecurity in global corporations. And how do you feel recent events have changed the way in which you and others view security professionals in general and indeed the industry as a whole? Yeah, I believe they have and they have uh, they have a lot. Uh, 
This crisis has brought the C-suite and security closer together in many organizations. Security management is playing an increasingly important role in managing the public health and safety concerns in workplaces such as healthcare facilities, retails, establishments, and many other. There's now a direct correlation between an organization's brand and how it manages security and safety during a crisis. Moving ahead, business continuity plans will now have to adapt and evolve to account for pandemic, remote work, and of course, return to the workplace. And finally, Godfrey, what does the remainder of 2020 hold in store for ACES International as an organization? Yeah, much of this clearly depends on the development of the pandemic. But staff and volunteer leaders will continue to build out robust online professional development tools on the most important issues facing security professionals at all phases of their career. And as soon as it is safe and sensible, we would like to resume face-to-face meetings. Therefore, we are closely following the global and local situation and rules and regulations, and also the guidelines that are set forth by bodies like the World Health Organization and national and or local centers for disease control and prevention. But some exciting work anyhow is being released soon around standards workplace violence prevention. And other than that, I just hope that all security professionals and all our other stakeholders uh, globally will remain healthy and safe and that we will be able to all work together for a safer world. One of several companies making the news this week is Perpetuity Research. The organisation has just announced that the security response to COVID-19 will be the subject matter for study in the next project to be conducted as part of the Security Research Initiative. Now in its 16th year, the SRI is supported by the ADS Group, ACES International, the British Security Industry Association and indeed the Security Institute. It's actively sponsored by several security suppliers and corporate organisations alike and in essence is a thought leadership initiative. It facilitates detailed analysis and debate on topics of key importance for the global security world. The research is conducted by Perpetuity and led by Company Director Professor Martin Gill, another recent guest on the Security Matters podcast. Each year a piece of research is carried out for the benefit of the whole security business sector. The overriding aim here is to understand key issues and then identify what needs to be done to effect positive change going forward. Notable previous projects have included the Security Strategy Toolkit, Aspiring to Excellence, which itself led to the popular Outstanding Security Performance Awards, and Buyer-Supplier Relationships in the Security Business Sector. Commenting on the new research project, which is due to start this month in fact, Professor Gill said, This year's project will have a global reach and relevance and explore the security response to COVID-19 not just at the height of the crisis, but also in its aftermath. We want to identify what the lessons are for good security. This will include looking at why security succeeded and failed, what has and will have to change in terms of how security is provided, and what this pandemic has demonstrated about the true value of security. The aim is to provide insights that will help the sector reflect and understand how to develop a stronger response to future crisis events. Current SRI members include Access Security, ICTS, KPMG, MITI, PwC, Securitas, the Security Industry Authority as the regulator, and also Sodexo. Membership is, in fact, open to security and corporate organisations in any country. Martin's own excellent series of thought leadership webinars focused around the OSPAs is still ongoing, with broadcasts running every Tuesday and Thursday. Many of the sessions have discussed in some detail the impacts of the coronavirus on security, 
notably so in relation to cybersecurity, training, security in high-risk environments, and the perceived value of security as a discipline. Security is certainly going to need to adapt to new operating requirements, playing both enforcer and supporter roles. It will also need to evolve to meet security threats coming from different sources, be they economic or related to activism, for example. Engaging fully with new business models as organisations change is going to be absolutely key. Also focusing on COVID-19 and its impact, Abby Petkar, the Managing Director of Magenta Security Services, has warned that the coronavirus and the ongoing threat posed by criminals are only two of the key risks presently facing frontline security operatives. The other, and one which is equally important to address immediately, is the key issue of mental health. Mental health issues can affect so many people, from the parents struggling to homeschool their children, through to furloughed workers, the unemployed, the frontline key workers like security personnel themselves, and so many who haven't been able to meet with their friends for months. Statistically speaking, the majority of the security workforce is male, and sadly, very few people realise that young to middle-aged men are among the most vulnerable when it comes to suicide risks. Abby Petkar is wholly correct to assert that we must do all we can to protect security's workforce, not just from the obvious threat, but also from what might be called the silent dangers. A key part of the mix is sharing thoughts and best practice tips through a variety of information channels, and in particular essential detail relating to mental and physical health advice. Our last item of news for review this time around centres on the police service. Those police officers operating at UK ports will now be able to stop, question, search and detain individuals to determine whether they might be a spy. This move is part of a range of measures being put before Parliament by the Conservative Government. The new Schedule 3 powers were introduced as part of the Counter-Terrorism and Border Security Act 2019 in direct response to the poisoning of five people in Salisbury, where a military-grade nerve agent was used. Tragically, Dawn Sturgis, one of the victims of the attack, later died. The government has now laid down the code of practice in relation to the use of Schedule 3 powers, which, subject to approval by Parliament, will see the powers in the 2019 Act come into force. The government has also updated its code of practice on the use of existing Schedule 7 powers. These afford the police service the power to stop and detain people at ports in relation to suspected terrorist activity. Security Minister James Brokenshire has commented, Schedule 7 is already a vital tool for police to protect the UK from terrorist threats. I am pleased that, subject to Parliament's approval, the police will be able to use Schedule 3 to protect us from hostile state actors. I am also grateful to those who engage with the consultation process to help ensure the codes of practice around the use of both Schedule 3 and Schedule 7 strike the right balance between protecting the rights of those who could be stopped and keeping members of the public safe. The government is certain that the two suspects charged with the Salisbury nerve agent attack are Russian military intelligence officers, and that the attack itself was almost certainly approved at the senior level of the Russian state. The whole episode has certainly created much debate. For their part, the Schedule 3 powers will help to protect the UK from the very real and serious threats posed by those states who would seek to undermine and destabilise this country in order to pursue their own agendas. Both codes of practice set out the processes governing how these important powers will be used and overseen. They include robust safeguards and provide special protections for confidential material and journalistic sources. Interestingly, the government has also published proposed revisions to guidance for the police service and relevant law enforcement authorities about the making or renewing of a national security determination for the retention and use of biometric material for national security purposes. Publication of the new and updated codes of practice and guidance follows on from detailed consultation with public authorities, media organisations and the independent reviewer of terrorism legislation. Our final guest on this episode of the Security Matters podcast is Kenny Long. Kenny is the UK Business Development Lead at Digital Barriers, advising police and security professionals alike on the proportionate and effective use of facial recognition technology. Kenny began his career in the Metropolitan Police Service before secondment 
to become part of the world's first dedicated super recognizer unit. He then went on to co-found Super Recognizers International. Earlier this week, I chatted with Kenny and began by asking him precisely why he's such a fan of facial recognition solutions. Given your own unique abilities as a super recognizer, Kenny, some commentators might be somewhat surprised to learn of your great enthusiasm for today's facial recognition technology. Why are you such a fan? Well, the reason I'm such a fan of the technology is that the technology works hand in hand with a facial examiner or a super recognizer. I think the main point is the facial recognition technology won't get tired. It doesn't need to have a nap, unlike humans. So I know when I've been deployed in the past, as I get tired, my identifications could slightly um, slightly vary compared to when I'm fully awake, but that's why it's so perfect to work hand in hand with the two technologies. And in the end of the day, a human always makes the final decision and uh, we're the ones that have to go to court. Do you wish you could have had access to this modern technology back in the days when you were working as a police officer? And if so, how would you have used that technology to best effect? And would it have complemented your own skill set, do you think? Oh no, definitely, I totally agree. Um, obviously, I used to be based at Scotland Yard on the Super Recognised Unit. And we worked on many, many different investigations from uh, murder inquiries to missing person inquiries to large scale public disorder. And um, I believe that at that point, if I had facial recognition like the technologies out there today with, with, with digital barriers, we, we could have been even more um, effective than uh, we was at the time. We know that UK police forces have con conducted trials with this, but we're still at an early stage in terms of the rollout to certain facial recognition technologies. Would you welcome further guidance from government, for example, that could perhaps provide a greater degree of certainty in this area? No, no, I, I totally agree. So when it comes to um, when it comes to facial recognition, there should definitely be um, some form of legislation uh, in regards to the deployment of it, because otherwise anyone could deploy it for any reason. The whole point is it should be proportionate, legal, accountable and necessary um, and, and very important uh, to this point as well. It should be transparent. Uh, the reasons whilst you're doing it and when you're doing it. I, th I think it's an excellent enhancement for public safety as well, because what, what people have to look at is facial recognition. Yeah, it could be deployed for all, uh, all sorts of reasons, from shoplifting to looking for a terrorist. But what people have to understand is when they do deploy on a terrorist operation, the parameters are set uh, much, much looser than if you're looking for a shoplifter. Because if you're looking for a terrorist... You want to make sure, no matter what, that you spot that person. So you're more than likely going to stop someone who looks slightly dissimilar. You can't justify um, using the same parameters to stop a shoplifter. So that means if you are looking for a shoplifter, you have to set the parameters tight so you only stop that person. I think that's where the uncertainty comes. And turning now towards digital barriers as a business, Kenny, what other technologies are you currently offering to the marketplace? We have a great range of technologies, digital barriers. Um, one of my favourites being the, uh, apart from facial recognition, obviously, is the uh, the live streaming body-worn cameras. The whole reason I like this so much is because as well as being a live streaming facial recognition uh, equipped body-worn camera, uh, you get actually real-time intelligence. So being a former public order police officer myself, if I was deployed, well, I was deployed in London Rights, for example, and sometimes it's hard to get over the radio exactly what's happening so that the, the guys and girls back at the base can't see exactly what's going on. But with the uh, live streaming body-worn cameras from digital barriers, you'll be able to click on the emergency button. And that means a live stream of audio and visual over ultra-low bandwidth can go back to that control room to a mobile phone or tablet all at the same time so they can make real-time decisions on what they see and hear, which I think is crucial in policing nowadays. When it comes to the technologies you mentioned, it strikes me that public acceptance is vitally important in terms of ensuring their wider adoption. 
With that in mind, what key advice would you give to defence, security and law enforcement focused professionals when they're actually deploying them? No, I, I, I totally agree. So, um, for example, like I've already said, the acronym that uh, I've sort of made up to an extent, but I've nicked most of it from when I was in my policing days, is PLANT. And this is what I always say to people, when deploying live facial recognition, always follow the acronym PLANT. So proportionate, legal, accountable, necessary and transparency. brings us to the end of this edition of the Security Matters podcast. Many thanks indeed to Godfried Hendricks from ACES International and also Kenny Long of Digital Barriers for their contributions. Also grateful thanks to our sponsors, The Security Event. The Security Event runs at the NEC in Birmingham on the 22nd and 23rd of September 2020. To register for the show, visit www.thesecurityevent.co.uk. Don't forget to visit our website at www.fsmatters.com forward slash security hyphen matters where you can view our podcasts and also read the latest news and opinion. You can also access our dedicated features content and sign up for our weekly e-news bulletins. Please do contact us if there are any key themes or issues you would like us to explore in upcoming broadcasts. You can do so on Twitter by using the hashtag SecurityPod. On that note, make sure you follow us on Twitter at WBMSecMatters. As a reminder, the Security Matters podcast is live to view every fortnight on Wednesdays. Please do like and share the content and spread the word among your industry colleagues. You can listen to the Security Matters podcast for free on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or Podbean. To download the podcast on iTunes or Spotify, all you need to do is enter the term Security Matters into the platform search box. We'll see you next time when one of our guests will be Kevin Waterhouse, the Managing Director at VCA Technology.